Welcome to episode one of season four of Victim Meet Advocate. Today we are interviewing the executive director of Virginia Victim Assistance Network, Kate Hanger. This episode is a little different than normal as it's being recorded live from the VVAN Directors Forum. The forum is a great training opportunity for directors of victim witness programs across the state of Virginia to learn about services and to network. I always bring back such great ideas to share with the team after this training, so let me introduce our guest. Kate Hanger is the Executive Director of the Virginia Victim Assistance Network. She has more than 20 years of experience working in the nonprofit field, specifically in community education and outreach. Kate is a fierce advocate for advocates. Every training that I've been to with Kate, she's always reminding us how important and necessary we are and to advocate for ourselves. Kate knows how important this line of work is because she herself has worked in victim services. She worked as a coordinator of the Victim Assist Helpline and Human Trafficking Info Line. Believe me when I say you are all in for a treat with this episode. So without further ado, let me introduce Miss Kate Hanger. Hi, Kate. I'm so glad you could do this episode with us. So let's just jump right into the questions. First, can you start off with a little information about Virginia Victim Assistance Network? How did it get started and what is your role there? Sure. So... 41 years ago, there was a group of victim advocates primarily who were at the systems level, so um, working at DCJS, the Department of Corrections, and other state agencies who recognized that Virginia needed a victim witness assistance program and its own Bill of Rights so that it could begin providing victims with the types of services that had really begun at the federal level. They were instrumental in creating the program, identifying funding sources, and putting the measures in place, including adding the Victim's Bill of Rights to Virginia's code. Those same advocates were um, the founders of our organization. They recognized that victim advocates were a profession that needed the same type of supports resources, camaraderies, and opportunities to support each other as other professionals do. Our organization has been a 501c3 nonprofit for the last 41 years. However, for the majority of its existence, really operated more like a a 501c6 membership organization, similar to, you know, the American Medical Association or the Virginia Association of Commonwealth Attorneys. And a professional association, its purpose is to support its members, typically who, you know, are, are in the same profession. Um, We have a hybrid identity. We serve victims of crime through our direct services programs, and we also serve victims um, indirectly by providing the advocates with the training and the resources and the supports that they need to best serve victims of crime. Okay. And so, like, in Gloucester, we are system-based advocates, so can you explain a little bit how VVAN's role is different from ours? Sure. While our history is systems-based and the majority of our members currently are victim witness assistance program advocates, we view ourselves as kind of straddling the gap between the systems-based advocacy groups and the community-based advocacy groups. We are aware that there are some times that 
those groups are at odds with each other. It unfortunately is the case that there are victims for whom a victim witness advocate believes, you know, going in one direction is going to serve that victim best. And their community-based advocate may think that a different approach is what's going to be best for the victim. We recognize that everyone wants what's best for the victim. Right. It just isn't always the same path that we see as being what is going to serve that victim the best and, and keep them safest. Yeah. Our goal is to put the victim first, to have policies and um, and resources that really focus on what are the needs of that victim both in the short and the long term and to help forge the connections for the systems and the community-based programs so that they're able to work together and um, and share resources uh, and come to um, and and come to a an agreement that the, the victim ultimately is the one that should be the focus. Absolutely. So I know you kind of touched on this a little bit, but what are some services VVAN provides directly to victims? So right now we have the two um, statewide phone numbers. One is the Victim Assist Helpline, and that is for any victim of any crime. We also have the Human Trafficking Info Line that is specific to victims of human trafficking, um, service providers who are looking for resources for human trafficking victims, and then also anyone who's looking to potentially report or um, get information on what to do if they suspect that human trafficking is, um, is happening in their area. The Victim Assist Helpline was created in the 90s. It was originally a DCJS resource. Okay. And it's interesting because in your office, I'm sure you have the, the brochures for the Victim's Bill of Rights yes. and other documentation such as the protective orders. And, and what you'll see on a lot of these documents is um, the DCJS Crime Victims Info Line. It mm -hmm. starts with 888. That 888 number is what was created by DCJS in the 90s. Oh, wow. So VVAN gets a victim services grant um, through uh, DCJS. It's one of the VOCA grants. And when we applied for our grant in, um, I think it was 2017, it was identified that the, the number... The, the number that DCJS had established in the 90s, back when a 1-800 or 888 number was really a huge advantage mm -hmm. since calling anywhere outside of your own area code had a long distance charge associated right. with it, that that resource hadn't changed at all since the 90s. It was still just a phone number. Mm -hmm. And the goal was to really bring it into the 21st century with some more dynamic um, uh, access such as the text message or doing an online chat. So that was part of our grant was that we um, we absorbed that program and we changed, we, we added a vanity number so mm -hmm. it says something cute and then but the old line is is still active and we still get a lot of calls through the old number so people are still getting it off of those forms oh, wow. and then they're also calling through the the new number um, all of those go to Angie 
Angie Haney, and oh, she okay. is our direct services coordinator. And Angie used to be work at Victim Witness in Williamsburg, James City County. Oh, that's right. So we also have the Homicide Survivor Support Group Program, mm -hmm. and Sharnell Hamlin is the coordinator for that program. She was um, Victim Witness Director in Surrey County. Oh, okay. And the homicide support groups, they operate all over the state of Virginia. We have, I believe, 11 active groups right now, including a statewide virtual group mm -hmm. and a Spanish-speaking group as well. Oh, um, and those are for anyone who has lost a loved one to homicide. Mm -hmm. The services are all free. They're confidential. And they are customized for the group members. So, you know, different localities in Virginia are different and the residents are different and their needs are different. And our goal is to, is to provide that grief support in the way that it serves the members. Those are led by licensed um, mental health professionals and um, they have been going for, let's see, four years strong now and they're really doing well. That's great. Yeah, we had our legal services program. We're still in the process of revising that mm -hmm. and getting some additional funding to bring it about. It also will be for any victim of any crime, providing information, um, guidance, advice, legal advice, and then um, on a case-by-case -case basis, legal representation for victims. Oh, that's great. They definitely could use that. Absolutely. So then on the other hand, what are the services that you guys provide professionals? Like what kind of trainings do you put on? Right now we've got our five core trainings. We've got the um, annual directors forum, which is for our victim witness directors, which is where we are right now. And um, that is a day and a half training that is specific to victim witness programs um, and helping to communicate any of the updates that are relevant to the victim witness programs and then also address the needs um, of those programs. We have the two different victim academies, and the names are a little bit um, misleading. Um, one is called the Basic Victim Assistance Academy. Um, that is really the, the essentials. That is um, all of the information about um, what victims need, the services that we provide, um, the trauma-informed <clears throat> care, um, the the requirements through the code and then the advanced is really more of a deeper dive so this year the advanced academy was on um, firearms and it's we we have a topic every year that is um, prescient and we um, and we do a specific training just on that topic we also have our uh, advocacy and legislative forecast we have that in the spring every year. Um, that's where we review the new laws that, um, that came out of the General Assembly and then also touch on some of the new advocacy practices that we've learned about. And then we also have the annual crime on, um, excuse me, annual conference on crime, crime victims issues. And this year it's gonna be our 41st. Oh, wow. I always learn so much at the trainings, every single one of them. So great. Well, the thing about the work that y'all do is it's ever-evolving. Okay. And it's not like you can get a degree and then go out and start serving victims of crime because the laws change and the resources change and the information changes. And 
it is something that we feel is is critical for you all to do your job is to be aware of those things and also to to connect with each other to share that information and and how you're able to apply it in the work you do absolutely so then to change gears again mm-hmm. and i know lobbying is part of what you guys do so could you walk us through the aspects of that and that process and what a typical day in the life of doing that looks like it's so funny because this the term lobbying it's it's kind of nebulous it doesn't there there are a lot of documents that will show like oh this is the difference between legislative advocacy versus lobbying versus educating and i think that lobbying it also gets a it has kind of a bad association to okay. it because Sometimes lobbying is making donations to political campaigns um, or other financial transactions with politicians that um, will play out in the favor of whoever is making the donation, and that is not something that we ever, ever do. Um, We are a nonprofit organization. We are prohibited from that type of lobbying, and and also that's just not, that's just not in our values. For us, the the responsibility and the role that we have is to um, help Virginia's leadership understand not just the needs of victims, but also that there are these code mandated rights that are afforded to victims in Virginia and that there are professionals whose jobs are also code mandated and that their responsibility is to uphold the rights of victims and to share with them the challenges and the successes of those programs because they're directly serving their constituents. Um, We're very fortunate to have an amazing contract lobbyist. Her name is Catherine Ford, and she has worked in in politics, specifically Virginia politics, for many, many years. And she's done a really great job of educating our politicians about what our organization does, about what the victim witness programs do, the needs of victims of crimes, the challenges and the burdens that victims face. Because truly, if if victim advocacy is going to be a part of our state's laws, the lawmakers, they should be aware of what that means and what is needed in order for those laws to be upheld. Absolutely. I thought Catherine did great today listening to all of us tell her a million things that we think she needs to take with her, which I thought was great that she's hearing it from our perspective and hearing all the stuff that we hear from victims, which I thought was great. She's really great. She's great at listening and she knows how to communicate that Mm -hmm. the right way. And she also has been instrumental in helping to raise awareness of the need for funding, which is a, a critical piece in, in helping you all do the work that everyone needs from you. Um, so on your website, it mentions that one of the key goals is to foster accountability through the criminal justice system. We agree with you that's so important. So what are some ways that you all do that? And what are some ways programs like ours may be able to do that? You know, it's so funny. When I first came to work at VVAN, my interpretation of that statement was that we are holding the criminal justice system accountable for what it owes to victims of crime. And 
And I think that the intended interpretation is that we expect the criminal justice system to hold the perpetrators accountable for their actions. And I think that putting the expectation that a system that isn't focused on the victim's needs mm -hmm. or what the, the victims feel is accountability and having the expectation that it be holding perpetrators accountable for their actions, I don't think that that's reasonable. Right. I think that we all have a responsibility as citizens and as part of a community. And I think that there are a lot of different ways that we can hold each other accountable for our actions and how our actions impact other people. I know that one of the roles of victim advocates is to manage the expectations of victims. Right. Not everybody has the same definition of justice. And what our system um, feels is justice oftentimes leaves victims feeling more lost than they were before. Right. And unfortunately, I don't feel that a lot of the measures we have in place to hold perpetrators accountable is achieving the goal of making them better citizens and making them more aware of the impact that their actions have on their communities. Right. I feel that our systems have a responsibility mm -hmm. to our citizens but in order for them to uphold that responsibility, they have to be designed to, to serve. To serve not just victims, but communities. Absolutely. And, and, and perpetrators, too. So that statement, which has a funny history to it, um, Originally, it was intended to show that our goal is that people who, who cause harm, that they be held accountable by the criminal justice system and that we are a part of making sure that happens. But we know that there are so many other ways to hold people accountable, and sometimes those ways are preferable to victims. Yeah. Alternate methods of... Um, addressing harm and and so for me you know the more I learn about victims and victims needs and the really really complicated and complex situations that can lead up to a victimization and then those yeah. very very different needs mm -hmm. I think that part of our responsibility is to find other ways that we can make everyone accountable for, for their part in, in community. Absolutely. Um, so what is one of the hardest parts of the work you do and what is one of the best? I always say that this work is a serotonin roller coaster. Yes. Right? You know, you've got those days where you just, it's like, 
I can't keep trying to save the world when the world doesn't want to be saved. I can't keep fighting against these systems that are making this impossible. I want to go to the house of the person that I just talked to and burn it to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the hardest parts for me about when we went into quarantine, I was still running the helplines. And there were so many times when I would get off the phone with a victim and I would come out of my office and just rage in the hallway just you know god bless my coworkers because i would just be like oh my god you got you know and and just needed to share the frustrations but i also needed that when i got off the phone with someone and felt like i really they really really are so much better off just for the time that I was able to give them, you know, they feel yeah. more hopeful. They feel like they have some sense of control over what's happening next. Um, and the hard part for me is that oftentimes I'm doing work that isn't interacting with the human beings that I need to interact with. Right. Um, and feeling like is our position making a big enough difference and, and will we be able to make a big enough difference, um, in the lives of the victims and, and, and the victim serving professionals and not knowing the answer to that. Right. The best part is the people. It's mm-hmm. always the people. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and that's my, that's my people. That's our staff. Mm-hmm. I'm fortunate to have incredible staff. Mm-hmm. We have excellent board. We love our members. We love the, the people who attend our trainings. Yeah. And, and being able to have our lives enriched mm-hmm. by serving victims, we, we all get something from each other. And um, it's been a while since I've covered the helpline, but when I do, I get a reminder of just the intense highs and the intense lows that can come with that. Um, And it and it helps sort of renew the the purpose and the the drive, right, to keep the work going. Absolutely. Um, So we just talked about this, but the feel can be kind of stressful. So what are some ways that you maintain self-care? That's such a good question. I'm glad you asked me that. So I'm teaching myself a lot about self-care because it has to be specific to us, right? So for me, um, self-care is, you know, I used to make the very common mistake of Um, choosing self-indulgence and thinking that it was self-care and having to recognize okay no this 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 might feel fun and slightly naughty but it actually leaves me feeling a little worse off than I was before and so self-care for me is I do um, weightlifting classes I have a condition called hypermobility and and as I'm aging my body's kind of turning into wet newspaper and it's the responsibility now of my muscles to hold the rest of me together because other parts are getting a little too slack. And so um, exercising is really helpful for me in managing my chronic pain. 
and also strengthening my body. Um, And that's something that I have been prioritizing. I'm not as good about putting it first as I'd like to be, but it is something that I've been doing. It is self-care. Right. Um, It's making sure that I feed my body the nutrients that it needs and not just giving it caffeine and sugar um, because as I get older, those things do a lot of damage to my energy and my ability to think and process. Um, You know, self-care, it means truly prioritizing your own ability to thrive. Right. Um, I still will put off doctor's appointments, Mm -hmm. but I'm really good about seeing a therapist. Yeah. I'm really getting better at advocating for my own needs, Mm -hmm. recognizing when I'm tired and not forcing myself to push through. Yeah. Because unfortunately, what happens is I push through and it's two hours that doesn't result in much as opposed to getting the rest and making better use of my time. Um, So those are my really not fun, sexy (laughs) versions of self-care. There's still great self-care, though. It, it, It sometimes, you know, takes us a while to reach the place of knowing what we need and sometimes we have to try on a lot of different things before we find what's good for us and not everything works for the same people and I like you know oh I I also I uh, I experimented with cold plunges which is really cool that sounds cool have you done cold plunges have you heard about it yes so we have a I have a bathtub on my back porch, and you fill a bathtub up with cold water, and then you let it sit overnight Mm -hmm. in January. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And you get into it, and and your body feels like you're going to die, but what happens is apparently is if you torture yourself for four minutes, for the rest of the day, you feel great. (laughs) Does it work? It does. Yeah, I mean, it truly, it's... I mean, it is, you know, science. It, it, um, it's the re- same reason why exercise helps us to level our dopamine. Yeah. It helps us feel good. You know, our bodies are always looking for homeostasis. And if you, you know, put your body into distinct, you know, discomfort, mm-hmm. it will look to level out yeah. that discomfort, which means sending a bunch of those good hormones to you, and then you get to ride those hormones for the rest of the day. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It is. Last question, and then I will let us get to Empower Hour. Sure. But what would you like victims of crime to know? What I wish victims of crime knew is that anything that they think they know about the criminal justice system is likely wildly inaccurate. We have a serious disservice to the people in our country that any source of entertainment, be it a book or a movie or a television show or a podcast, is probably not providing them with an accurate snapshot of what this, the, the system is. Right. And, and that the majority of the time, they are going to be overwhelmed, confused, disoriented, and 
feel completely lost and also feel completely ignored yeah. and that sadly that's normal like and 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 as advocates part of your job is to meet that person where they are and right. say I'm going to hold your hand and walk you through this madness mm-hmm. don't expect have any idea what's going on right because when they're throwing out language in half latin and when people are making decisions and all of a sudden we're leaving this room and going in this room you're never going to be able to keep up right but all you have to do is trust that i am looking out for you and that i will communicate with you what you need to know and that at any point you can always check in with me and I will help you understand what's going on even if it doesn't make any sense. No. You know, I've been doing this work for a long time and there's still so much that I don't understand. Yeah. And you know, until we have the expectations that that any type of entertainment that is around a profession, you know, right. any television show that is about a hospital really should maybe resemble what it's like to be in a hospital. Right, absolutely. Any television show that is about a crime should resemble what it's like to work in crime. Absolutely. And, and you know, it is an un fair burden on victims to sell them a story that isn't ever gonna be the reality more than anything else if it's the only thing that you keep from this I think it's important for victims to know that your life it's not chapter book it's a collection of short stories yeah and some of those stories are going to be really, really sad and hard ones, yeah. but it's not it. And you have the chance and the opportunity to find whatever is resolution, whatever is healing, whatever is justice for you in so many other ways. Yeah. Don't look to this one system to undo the harm that was done to you and that part of being an advocate is is helping those victims to see this door might be closed now Mm -hmm. let's go look for some other open doors and get you through them so that you continue your healing process well beyond what just happened in this room That's some great advice. So we'll end it there. Thank you so much for doing this interview with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Victim Meet Advocate. Season four is going to contain a lot of great content where we chat with a lot of local contributors to the healing and advocation of victims in the criminal justice system. Be sure you're following all of our social media accounts so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes and updates regarding September, which is National Disaster Preparedness Month, and we're coming up on National Domestic Violence Awareness Month in October. Until next time, this has been Victim Need Advocate.